a broke single mom who'd been fired from Denny's go on to become America's most sought-after real estate investor. Hold on to your seats as you are about to go on a wild ride that results in you being a superstar. Dwan Twyberg, a.k.a. Wonderful, is about to blow your mind. The most wonderful real estate podcast ever promises to be your go-to podcast for everything that life has to offer. You are entering the Wonderful Zone. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the most wonderful real estate podcast ever. I am so excited to have you here for another one of my sessions of Inside the Minds of Today's Millionaires. So if you are sitting there or listening or doing whatever you do in your net time, and you're like, hey, I'd like to learn something about tax liens. Well, you are at the right place today. I have a really a very exciting guest. His name is Fuquan Bilal. So how are you, honey? I'm doing great. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, I'm so excited. Looking good over there. I got your jacket. Looking all fancy. So are you. So are you. It's I love it. Wonderful. I love it. I always have some crazy wild shirt on. But I don't wear something wild. People don't know who I am. <laughs> so, so as you all know, uh, inside the minds of today's millionaires, we talk to a variety of people, and they're not all necessarily in real estate. They're just very successful people in, in different, mostly real estate, but some different genres, because we're trying to find out what it is inside the minds of these folks that makes them take this extra step over here and become successful when somebody else just stays over here and never quite makes that leap. So we're looking to dig inside of your mind today, Fuquan, and see what it is about you that helps you actually make that leap. So uh, just tell us, so first of all, well, give us a little brief summary of who you are and what you do. Sure. So first of all, I'm a superhero to my kids. Oh. <laughs> That's the first title. I'm a unicorn right here to my grandchildren. <laughs> I think I'm the queen of the unicorns. <laughs> So yeah, I've been invested in real estate for about 21 years. Uh, I have a company, a private investment company called NNG Capital Fund. That's Nancy, Nancy, George, NNG Capital Fund. You guys can find more out on nngcapitalfund.com. And what we do is we specialize in alternative assets, primarily real estate assets, which is uh, real property, um, tax liens, and also mortgage notes. So we have a very diverse vehicle. And uh, we're talking a little bit about tax liens today, but like I mentioned, I've been doing real estate for about 21 years. I've been through two market cycles, and I'm really just glad to be here to share uh, one of the strategies I use to get real estate at a super discount with the group. Nice, nice. Well, as everybody knows, we start up every podcast with drinks with Dwan, and we are both having tea. <clears throat> See, look, I even got my teacup that says, I'd melt for you. <laughs> I have ginger tea. What flavor do you have? Oh, I have cinnamon today. Mm. So cheers to you and cheers to all my wonderful family. Mm. Cheers. So you all know that we just take this <clears throat> brief minute and just tell everyone, take a deep breath. Let your stresses of the day, just shake them all off for a minute and just open your mind and set your mind to learning and listening and laughing because we're going to have a good time as well. 
And I know a lot of you are listening to podcasts in your net time. So you might be exercising or driving or whatever you're doing. And uh, so I just want you to be in a moment with us for a little while, not long, 45 minutes. And, uh, and I just always like to check in and see how everyone's doing. So I'm hoping all of you are doing your homework and your assignments and you're getting on webinars and you're just learning and you're listening. And so with that, uh, Fuquan, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. I'm, I'm super excited. Uh, there's a lot of opportunities that are out there as far as deal flow. So we're, we're just super, just super excited to be in the marketplace that we're in. We know... Uh, almost a year ago, in fact, a year ago, you know, there was doom and gloom and there was a lot of bad writing on the wall. And, and since, you know, as I would say, as a nation, we've come move forward. Everyone is starting to get some sort of idea of direction where they want to go, what they want to invest in, things they want to do. We saw a major shift um, all over the place from people working at home now to Zoom being the number one thing. <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I'm super excited to be in a place. And I, I think what did happen, the Black Swan event that occurred made me and my team stronger. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're just grateful for what's to come. Yeah, you know, I, I feel the same way. We I've been doing uh, a lot of webinars and Zoom calls for several years prior to all this crazy COVID stuff. So while so many people were like scrambling to keep their businesses and things flowing, I was like, I already did that years ago. <laughs> you know, so, so Tim, I mean, so obviously, you know, it's been a terrible thing, but um, we didn't really miss much of a beat as far as our real estate investing goes, because we kind of already had made a transition like that a couple of years ago. So, and I think one of the, uh, so before we get into talking about tax liens and mortgage loans, so that's what we definitely want to talk about. Um, one of the things I always like to ask all my guests is I try to figure out like what you were like when you were younger. So I, I don't know how old you are. How old are you? 47. I just turned 47 on um, the 16th of March. Yay. Well, honey, you're looking fine for 47. Trust me. Just looking fine. In general. Thank you. You know, I, people say, oh, you look good for 62. I'm like, you could just say I look good. Over 62. Part to it. <laughs> Just say you look good, Juan. Say, oh, okay, thank you. Um, so, so Fuquan is is an unusual name. Where? What's your nationality of that name? Uh, was Arabic. Arabic. Wow. Yeah, it's Arabic, I, and it means the criteria, like the difference between right and wrong, similar to the Bible. Wow, what a great name. Thank you. Because when I heard it, I was like, oh, I don't know that I've ever talked to anyone or met anyone with that name. That's a neat name. So were you raised in America? Yes, I was. So when you were like, let's say 12, 13, 14, what was that Fuquan? What were you doing? What were you thinking about? What was happening in your life at that time? Yeah, so even at the young age, I was working. Um, You know, I'm so grateful for my mom. She, you know, installed the hustler spirit into me. We used to go, I remember, uh, to the flea markets, or the bazaars, as they called them back in the day. And she used to go to Chinatown, New York, and she would buy items wholesale, scarves, um, just little hats and and gloves and stuff like that. And we used to rent a space in the bazaar, outdoor, Mm -hmm. indoor bazaar, wherever we traveled to, for 25 bucks for a six-foot table. And she would set up these items, these scarves, hat, gloves, and uh, incense and stuff like that. And uh, we would have to hustle. We would have, me and my younger brother would have to sell 
um, these items in order to generate income. So I've always, uh, around that age, that's what I remember, me going to these places with my mom, helping her sell the inventory that she had and being excited about it. And um, there was a gentleman that um, used to sell like newspapers uh, by mm-hmm. our school. And um, every Friday, I would actually ask him, you know, what is, where does he get it from? Where does he get it from? So I saw the guy delivering the newspapers one day and I approached him, the delivery guy directly and got an agreement with him so I can start getting papers and selling them also. So I did some paper routes and did some things like that. So I remembered, you know, at that young age, you know, being my own boss and generating income and learning, learning that. So that developed a hunger in me and a hustler spirit. So, um, of course, I did the common things with my friends, played football in the street, played chase and all the other stuff, basketball. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, that's what I remember most of being excited about being in business. You know, it's funny. Uh, almost every, I think 100 percent of the people I've interviewed so far. Uh, even including myself, all of us at 12, 13, 14, we were already all making money because we didn't get an allowance. So if I wanted to go somewhere and do something, I had to earn the money. You know, now I didn't get to go to a, a bazaar and just sit behind a desk. I had to go work in the garden, feed the cows, feed the pigs, get the eggs. <laughs> I had to weed the garden. I had to pick the trees and pick the peaches and I had to kill the chickens and pluck them and I had to do a little bit more gruesome sort of work, but <laughs> but we got paid for it. And I was just like, you know, we lived on a farm. So when you're a farm kid, you don't know. And um, I would like to have just like sat in a bazaar chatting with people without dirty. Yeah, actually, I, my younger brother, he sat behind at the table, but I was the one who would go out into the crowd and cut them off like before they got to the bazaar. And so <laughs> any of the other items that were being displayed and I made sure I had <laughs> items for sale, the incense, the, you know, the smaller things that they can buy. So I was the guy, you know, on a corner before the bazaar trying to hustle the stuff. Um, so it was, it was pretty funny. And I look back on it, but yeah. But you learned how to talk to people at a young age. So that probably helped you not to be shy or at least not to be shy to, cause I, I was weirdly super, super crazy shy in high school, but I would work with my parents and do things and go to fruit markets and all these different things. I talked to everybody, but in school, I was so shy. It was crazy. So I probably helped you be a little more outgoing and give you some people skills. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I, um, I think again, that's what I can remember that gave me my foundation because Mm -hmm. it made me, uh, it made me the person who I am today. So I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm eternally grateful for my mom taking me through that experience. I remember at first I didn't want to do it. Uh, me and my younger brother didn't want to do it, but then we made a competition out of it. Who would sell the most stuff? Oh, there you go. It was 25% of the profit. So basically um, that was good enough for me. If I, if I sold a hundred dollars in items, I made $25 for the day. You know, we were out there for like six hours. So to me at 12 years old, $25 was the world. You That's know? so much money back then. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it okay. really was. I mean, I'm a little well, older than like, you. We but- go, once a week, that's $100 a month. And in one year, I have $1,000 saved up by someone 13. <laughs> so that was the world to me. And then I started learning, okay, I made this $25 this week. Now, how do I invest this into a paper route to make money on that? Okay, I made money on that. Now, where can I buy the wholesale candy bars and potato chips to sell to my friends in school? So I kind of turned one thing to another. Then all three were going at the same time. 
And the $24 a week that I was expecting to make now turned into like $60 or $70 a week that I can count on. So that was, that was, you know, pretty awesome for me. Not well, that's awesome for anybody. I mean, really look at how young and your mind was already, you know, rolling and thinking and how that was going to happen. So yeah, I mean, I had no choice under the circumstances that we grew up under, you know, single parent household and I seen my mom struggle. So for me to kind of step up to the plate to know that I had to, you know, help bring the income in, that was the best thing ever for me to know I could help my mom and also learn how to generate business, right? Wow. How to generate income from doing my own business. So now you get a little older, maybe you're like 20, 21. Are you thinking about real estate yet or where where are you at at that point? Not at that, at that age. Around that age, I was actually working for corporate. I was oh. a director of sales and telecommunication. And I actually lived in California. Um, it was a town called Signal Hills, about 20 minutes away from L.A. And during that time, um, we had call centers in New York. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, call centers in L.A., for this uh, communicate telecommunication company I used to work for. And my job was to modify the scripts and rebuttals and make sure that people at the call centers was doing a job, they were in compliance. So I did that for a few years. Um, and I, I really liked it because it was sales. Like I've always been into sales. I love sales. Me too. Uh, from, oh, from when I was younger and everything else. So that gave me the ability to really shine. And I actually lucked up with that job because I took a job as a telemarketer and I really did well during a day shift. Um, and I was competing with one of the top sellers uh, in that space. And then they put me on the night shift and I just blew the doors off of everybody <laughs> who was in the night shift. And then they made me a manager at the night shift. And they said, you know what? We need you to go out and help with California. We have some issues out there with your mind going. And I went for 30 days and then it wound up turning to me uh, living out there. They gave me a nice compensation package. And I didn't have any family, anybody out there, but I was just young and I, I wanted to make the money. Yeah. And it made me a nice offer. They got me a corporate apartment, an American Express card, and I was living the world. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I was doing when I was 2021. 20, and um, yeah, that was those were exciting times. I loved it. California. Oh, I bet that that actually sounds really exciting, especially yeah, out there at the corporation. We've got your you got your credit card, they got you set up in a nice place. Yep. California. Cars, everything. The only thing I didn't like about it, I stayed right across. I stayed in Anaheim when I first went out there and I stayed right across the street from Disney and I lived in a hotel for six months. So it sounds exciting to a bunch of people. You get somebody to clean up after you every day. You got a credit card, meals, but you just get burnt out from the eating out every single day. You know, after six months, I was like, wow, I need to get a place. I need to cook some home cooked food. Um, And they made it happen. So I was grateful about that. And I stayed out there for a little while longer. Uh, and today, industry started to slow down. And then I started to, uh, back in somewhere around like 98, um, I started to learn about websites and internet back then. And my company was trying to make a transition into uh, into websites and doing stuff online. And um, yeah, the industry was dying down at that point. So where along your path did you come across the idea of real estate investing or the tax things or the mortgage loans? Like, where along because I didn't start till I was like 32. So I was doing a bunch of stupid stuff before that. <laughs> so like really so I wish I would have had a, a place in California and a, a company credit card and all that stuff. I was too busy like in the 80s partying. So where along the way did that concept of like, hey, you know what, I could really make money over here in this thing by myself and not being underneath the corporate shield. Where where along the way did that 
become a thought process where you started investigating? Yeah, so it's it was fairly easy. I had a cousin of mine who uh, we were like rivals. He actually, um, you know, just he never had a job, always got odd jobs here and there. And when I got my corporate job in my American Express, I was like, yeah, I'm doing better than you. You know, young kids, that's what we do. We tease each other. Hell who's yeah. better, who's this and that. So he actually started to shadow someone who was involved in real estate. And um, after about a year of being around this guy, he actually did a closing and he made like $40,000. And when he made the check, um, you know, we had went out to dinner and he showed me the check. He's like, hey, I just did my first closing. I made 40000 Now you're working for the man. I'm working for myself and I made half your salary, um, you know, in a shorter period of time. So that kind of woke me up a bit to know that there were other opportunities out there and I didn't need to be in corporate uh, with benefits and American Express and all the other stuff that I can actually make, you know, in a shorter period of time half my salary at the time I was making like 85,000 a year plus commission. That's still a lot of money though, honey. That's a lot of money for people today. That's a lot of money. Oh yeah. That was for me at that young age. I thought I was on top of the world. American Express making his money, working for corporate. And, uh, but I am sure the person when they had before me, they were paying over a hundred thousand to live in California. So I still, even at that age, know I wasn't being paid what I was supposed to be paid. They just replaced the person that was out there that wasn't doing a good job with me at a lower expense got me a corporate apartment. So I believe everything that I was making in the corporate apartment, all the bells and whistles was just the salary of the person they replaced me with. So I knew I was getting the short end of the stick. There was gossip going through the company, but I was excited because I never got paid that much. I was a young kid and I was grateful. So anyway, when my cousin showed me the check, I knew that if I can put all the time and energy that I'm putting in for this company and just on me and what I want to do, and use real estate as a vehicle to do that, then that was great. So I started to shadow my cousin around and Uh uh, lo and behold, in less than six months, I made a check for 30,000 and I figured out, you know, how this works. And um, that was around somewhere around late 99, early 2000. So how old are you at this point? Uh, Somewhere almost about 24, probably. Okay. So you're still really young. Yeah. Around 24 was when I first got into real estate. And, um, you know, during that time, it, it was, you know, going into 2000, I think FHA was the was the prominent, predominant uh, uh, lending source out there. Conventional really didn't open up that much. Um, or if it was, it was high interest rates. I think maybe like 9%, if I can remember somewhere around oh, I remember FHA, that. Yeah, like 7% was like the thing with FHA. And, um, you know, they didn't really start opening up the products with the conventional stuff until like maybe 2003, 2004, somewhere around there where it started to, you know, get more competitive uh, when, you know, you could fog a mirror and get a loan, you know, it was, they started to loosen up a little bit. And during that time I had honed my skills in flipping properties. I was doing it full time. I was doing about 35, 36 transactions a year consecutively. So just real quick. So you were flipping, so you were getting them on a contract and you were wholesaling them to like a landlord or a rehab or somebody. Not wholesaling them. I was actually getting them on the contract rehabbing them and then selling them retail so you were rehabbing yeah i was rehabbing and then selling them retail and you were doing how many a year i'm sorry how many a year were you doing uh about 35 36 a year wow that's like you were like playing that's serious 35 rehabs because rehab yeah i know some guys who who do i'm in a group with some guys who do 300 a year so (laughs) that's a lot 
But, um, you know, I mean, those are smaller end rehabs. They're doing, you know, 10, 15,000 really quick fix hoteling stuff, getting rid of them. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's a, probably a mixture too of wholesale and retail stuff that these guys are doing. But we were doing 36, 35, 36 retail deals. Like we were buying them, fixing them and selling them. So, um, and I knew that as I'll go back before, I was saying if I put the time and energy into what I wanted to do, the same effort and everything I was doing uh, at corporate, and it worked. It panned off. I started putting a lot of time and energy, 25, 8, no breaks, sun up, sun down, seven days a week, and had all the energy in the world. And um, I was very passionate about it, as I am today for real estate. It was a way out. Uh, it gave me my feel of importance because I was able to go back to the communities where I was from, from Newark, New Jersey. There's a lot of blighted and uh, dilapidated properties in that area. So for me to go back, revitalize those properties and put them back on the tax road for the township, all, uh, provide a better place for the residents to live. It just made me feel important. You know, you go through block, block, block and start rehab and then you drive down the street and you can see the change that you're making in the neighborhood. It's just a, it's just, it, it just fulfills me. So I, I love doing that and I continue to do that. Um, all the way up until uh, 2008, 2009, when the market started, when the market started to take a dip, and then the market market ultimately crashed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, the story is, you know, I lost a bunch of money like everybody else. Went through divorce, went through all of that stuff, and it took me about a year and a half to two years to bounce back to really get an understanding of where I wanted to go, what I wanted to do. So somewhere around about 2011, um, I discovered the note business. Um, which is one of the things that I still invest in today. So I actually discovered during that time that you can actually um, buy delinquent paper directly from the bank. So at that time, the banks did not want to be the bad guys. They did not want to foreclose on people. They put the brakes on foreclosure and they started to sell the delinquent debt to other companies. Um, It's not as regulated. It wasn't as regulated as it is today. Right. Um, but back then in 2011, 2012, you can literally get a spreadsheet of loans from the bank that they would, um, a tape, which they call it, and they would sell you a couple of hundred loans at like 10 cents on a dollar, um, especially in Florida, you know, where, where stuff at New York, all these places, inventory was very cheap, but you will buy it in the form of they would assign the rights of collection and note and mortgage over to you. And then you would have to hire your own attorneys, foreclose on it or collect on it. Um, so I, I learned that space. It was very intrigued with it. I still love it today. Heart is on fire for it. That gave me the feel of importance to be in that space because I was able to help homeowners stay in the house. So uh, let me ask of- you a question. Um, so just so people understand, uh, cause you know, a lot of people are brand new and they're coming across this and like, I, I don't understand what's the difference between buying a note and buying a house. So you were buying the debt, the note against the property. The homeowner was in foreclosure. And you bought, so you became the new bank. Absolutely. And then you, did you call homeowners and say, hey, um, if you can come up with this much money, we can start you on a payment plan. And did you work out that with people? And because and, I did that for a while too. And that's what I always did. I bought these super cheap notes uh, in Florida, actually. And then I would call the people and say, hey, if you can, I would lower their payment, lower, the, lower it all down. If you could pay this much, you can keep your house. So is that Absolutely. Kind of yeah. Oh, yeah. I Absolutely. love that because I don't mean that a lot was of a good explanation of it. I really appreciate that because a lot of people don't get it, and that's the top of the pinnacle when you can actually go and buy the paper directly from the bank. You're in front of the people who buy REOs, essentially. 
Exactly. And one of the things uh, for all of you that that may be hearing this for the first time, there's a big difference between buying the note and buying the REO. Once it's an REO, the bank is taken through foreclosure, the bank has it back. And the way the bank works today is they list it and put it on the market and then they sell it. So if Aquan is talking is you're going into the bank and saying, sell me your bad debts and I'll finish the foreclosure. So you're in essence becoming a bank which gives you all the options in the world. Absolutely. I, and the, I the love thing, that. Yeah, the main thing that we did was we didn't want to foreclose. So we foreclosed, we failed. We wanted to give a solution to the homeowner because we bought it at a discount and we wanted to share our discount with the homeowner. Uh, and we wanted to waive all of the arrears um, as long as they came up with some type of earnest money. And they provided financials showing that they can afford the new payment that we had agreed for them to pay. And that way, it made us the true blue bank. And basically, we were able to start collecting mortgage payments instead of being the property owner and collecting rent. The homeowner was still the property owner. And they took care of all the maintenance issues. And we just took care of making sure that the customer service. And so we were placed with the loan servicer, uh, which most people who have a mortgage today deals with, and they would handle all the phone calls and all that stuff. And we just did the workout portion of it. Um, and that was really exciting because that was pretty much um, doing business from a laptop cell phone. Um, oh, yeah. You know, instead of running around <laughs> the tennis calls, trash and termites and chasing contractors and then Home Depot. <laughs> So that transition for me was like, oh, you can make money uh, and and still do this. So the whole goal of that would be once you take it from non-performing, the bad debt, and you turn it that good debt, which is called performing, then you can then go out and sell that debt. Just to give the listeners um, you know, a view of that, let's say the person owed 50000 from a loan they took out from the bank. And they went delinquent. The loan would probably sell me that that fifty thousand dollar loan. At that time, I can get it maybe for twenty thousand. Uh-huh. And I worked something out with the homeowner where I made the payments more affordable. And if they paid for a year on time, I could then go and sell that loan um, to somebody for maybe forty five thousand dollars. And I essentially doubled my money. Um, so it's just a way to flip paper, and uh-huh. I make return. So we we love that space because we was able to provide a solution to the homeowners that were in default. And we were able to provide inventory to investors looking for cash flow and papers without being the uh, property manager. So that was that was great. And we did that for a very long time. So real quick before you go on, because I know people are going to be like, what? How can they find you? How can people find you? Because I mean, I, I did that for a short while and it was one of the most fun things I ever did. So they're like, okay, I want to hear what Fuquan has to say more about that. Where can people find you? I'm all over social media. If they go, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram, I'm on YouTube. They can find me on any one of those platforms and message me. I communicate with anybody who reaches out to me. So they can just put my name in any one of those platforms, Fuquan Bilal, and, and message me and I'll contact them. And your website? Our website is nngcapitalfund.com. Um, but if they want me directly, they can, you know, hit me up on social media. That's the easiest way nowadays. I used to give people my email address, but, you know, social media is the place now where everybody, where everybody's at. So yep. they can find me there easily. Very easy. And he does right back. I stalked him on Instagram. So uh, <laughs> <messenger>. <laughs> he does right back. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, I have a time block that I actually do with social media. Um, you know, because when I first got on it, it's it's it sucks up all your time and everything. Oh. But I have a time block where it's early morning and late evening. Like when I'm done with all the stuff I have to do, then I kind of tap into social media and that's like, you know, do some customer service stuff, answering questions. And I actually created those platforms on social media so I can actually help people. When I first got on social media two years ago, I said my goal was the first year was to educate 5,000 people. And then I quickly realized that that was too small of a goal because within seven months, I had 5,000 followers on Instagram. I was like, wow, this is because, you know, I was putting out content, content, content and everything else. So um, I, I believe I've surpassed that goal so many times. And I just put out a lot of content, educational content I try to put out that would help people. You do. I follow you everywhere. I'm like oh, one of your secret stalkers. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. Now, how did you go from, uh, the, so the no buying, it, it is something I've done as well. And I got to tell you, I, one of the things I always tell all my students, and I call them my family, is that you want to create a win, win, win. So it's a win for the homeowner, it's a win for the bank, and it's a win for you. So the fact that you base your life around these win, wins, wins, three wins, you're not just like screwing the bank or the, you know, whatever. It's a win-win for everybody. Um, I, I love that. I love that because, you know, not all investors are as ethical, I guess we could say. <laughs> and they're like, oh, I don't care. You know, screw the home out of the bank. They don't care. They're just all about money for themselves. And which is one of the reasons I'm, I'm picky about who I have on my call, because I really want people that really have a heart for helping people. Because my whole life, my whole 30 years of investing has been all about helping people. So when I meet a fellow lover of people, that makes me very excited. Now, how did you go from the, because um, I love the note buying, how did that work over into the tax liens? And explain to people what, uh, so here's a couple things. Explain what it is. And then if you can give us three tips, just three tips on how a brand new person could find out or look into tax liens. Um, I always like to try to leave people with, you know, uh, some little piece of information that they can go, oh, well, okay, I'm gonna take those three tips and Google and find out what I can find out. And of course, reaching you directly. Yeah, so, so I mean, I, during the, so let me just back up a bit. Right. So before the market crashed, um, I, I felt as though, and I, and I don't really take this the wrong way, I felt as though I was God. And what I mean by that, I was so ignorant that I didn't, I didn't know that a real estate community existed because I had so much money and had all the cars. And I was, by the time I was 28, I was a millionaire. And I, I just was dumb for bad, better lack of words of um, being in a group of other people who can have a pulse in the market and kind of, you know, let you know what's happening. So I was blind when the market crashed. I didn't see the signs on the wall and I lost, I lost a couple million dollars of my own money. And had to start all over again. So through me discovering a um, real estate groups, I started uh -huh. to attend these groups and these meetups and started taking more serious and connecting. I just want to ask you real quick, not to interrupt you. Did you used to go to Phyllis Rock Hour's group? Which group? Phyllis Rock Hour in LA. Did you go to the LA Rio? No, no. So I didn't, I was living in New Jersey after I oh, lived okay. in California. Yeah, I started my real estate career um, in 99. So I, was, I lived in California to about 98. So okay. um, when I started to, after the market crashed, go to these real estate events and really started to understand 
you know, the power of, of relationships and building a strong network, I discovered really those, those places were a, an opportunity for you to have a pulse in the market because they had different categories and they taught different things. And um, it was during that time that I learned about tax liens. Ah. Um, I didn't take action with it, but I would listen to the presentations. I would take notes. I understood the concept. And I was like, one day, one day, one day, one day, one day. So I would keep the arrow in my quiver, as they say, and or tool in my toolbox. And I had knowledge of it. I researched it, but I didn't take action on it. And one thing I want to tell the listeners is that you may uh, see me on social media with all the things that I do, but please realize that there's 21 years of experience. And before I did each one, I created mastery in it. So I, I had did over 150 flips before the market crashed. So I knew how to do that, but I wasn't excellent at it. I was probably 60% good at it. And I got better at, at it after the market crashed and reverse engineered my mistakes and started to go to these real estate meetups and learn from people who had more experience, I was able to build mastery on how to do a flip, how to streamline construction, how to use the right systems and tools to keep you accountable. So I could build mastery in that. Um, when I learned the note business, I did the same thing. I went over the hill and got the arrows in my back first. I invested my own money. I built case studies. I figured it out. Um, before I started to raise capital for that, I put my own capital at risk. So um, and then I built mastery in that. I brought the right team on. I built systems, tools, and processes in order to scale that business efficiently. I'm not scaled to be uh, bigger. I scale to be better. So that's one thing I just want to impart upon our listeners is that you have to create mastery um, you know, in what you're doing before you start jumping. I want to be a wholesaler. I want to buy tax things. I want to do this. Because you'll just fall flat on your face. So try to go deep instead of wide. Right. So when that was what I like that deep instead of wild, yeah. I'm going to use that. That is so true. Yeah. So when I learned about tax liens, it was like one of those shiny objects. I want to try to go do it. Let me go to the next auction. So it, I knew how to do it. I created the process. And um, I remember a gentleman coming into my office probably maybe five years ago. And um, it was a representative of another gentleman. So he took a meeting with me. And he brought me this book from this um, this tax lien attorney, and he came to me to sell me. Actually, he came and said, "Hey, you're you buying properties? I have a group that buys tax liens, and they're looking to sell them to investors like you." Um, so he showed me a couple of properties, and I just didn't get what he was trying to do because I was like, "Okay, if they're buying the tax liens, they have to be getting them at a discount." Because my understanding from before going to these meetings and you know, reverse some, you know, listen to my notes in my head. And remember is that you're going to buy the tax lien for delinquent taxes and delinquent taxes are like $12,000. And it has to be two years in my state of New Jersey where someone falls behind yeah. where you can actually foreclose and get the property. So I'm saying to myself, it's 12,000 a year, two years, 24,000 costs, everything. They can't be into it for more than 50. So why are they selling to me at retail price? Where's the discount? Like I, I was telling the guy, where's the discount? I could just go to the realtor and get the property the same thing. What is this group doing? He said, well, you get first access. And so I know it was a bunch of BS. So I told the guy, well, I wasn't interested at the time. At the time. Um, I'll get back to him. So he said, okay, no problem. He was a little upset. And then when he was leaving, he went to grab the free book back that he was giving to me. And I put my hand on it. And I said, you told me this was free. Why are you trying to take it? He go, oh, you can have it. So I took that book and it sat on my shelf for like two years. 
right? I didn't read it. I just like, it's tax liens, tax liens, tax liens. I'm going to read that book and find out more information because I researched the attorney. And he was the attorney who wrote some of the laws um, in the state of New Jersey for the taxes. So I was like, okay, this is a guy that I definitely want to read this book. I'll just put this on the shelf. So the market started to uh, increase after 2015. Um, I really got heavily into real estate. I was doing notes and I started to do more real estate and my personal portfolio because my fund that I raised capital for uh, at that time primarily was for notes. So the long and short of it was I started to do flips in my personal portfolio and pricing started to increase. And I knew uh, some of the similar things that I, I saw some of the similar things I was seeing back in um, 07, 08 when it started to increase rapidly. You know, it, when I started to buy from these banks, pricing was increasing on the market, price was increasing. I said, okay, I got to get ahead of the curve. So where can I pivot to get ahead of the curve? Where can I get a bigger discount? Tax liens. It came up, said, okay, what if I can get these at the same price these guys can get them at? And at the time I was actually buying a few properties from investors, a fund who actually uh, purchased a tax lien. They would then foreclose and sell it to me. So after buying about three or four properties from this one particular, this fund from upstate New York, I was like, wow, I need to reverse engineer this project and spend some time into it. So um, the short of it, here's the three tips that I would tell people is if you are interested in, in getting into tax liens, the first thing I would do is find out what are the laws in your state. In the state of Florida, it's tax deeds where you actually, uh, and I think upstate New York, where you actually foreclose on the at the auction and you get the deed to the property. I mean, then you have to pay the back taxes. And New Jersey is the opposite. You don't get the deed until you foreclose on the taxes. So I went through all my notes. Um, and one thing I could tell people is reach out to an attorney to find out what, what it is in your state that's the requirement. What are the redemption periods in your state? What I mean by that is if you do foreclose, what rights do the homeowner have to redeem? What's the time period? Um, and I would highly advise when you put that attorney or retainer, they're probably two fifty an hour. You know, you would invest you know, $10,000 with a guru, why don't you give $2,500 for an attorney for 10 hours and pick their brain, right? I hate to use that term, exactly. pick their brain. Get with an attorney and find out more information about how do you lose money? That's what I did. Put the attorney on retainer and said, look, I want to get into this business. How do I lose money? What are the pitfalls? And they went through every step on how I would lose money. And then I said, okay, how do I protect myself from that? But they went through every step on how do I protect myself from that? Then I built the process. I asked the attorney, what is the process of the foreclosure? What's the timeline? What's the first through the last step? So the attorney told me that. I did it on a lucid chart, a diagram. I did a PowerPoint presentation so I can go through it and understand the steps, the timeline, the cost of the attorney. Then I attended an auction. That would be tip number two, I would tell someone, attend the tax lien auction. They usually, the standard tax lien auctions usually happen um, sometime in December, be right close to the holidays uh -huh. where the fourth quarter delinquent taxes go to sell. So I attended the auction and I started to observe what was happening at the auction. How were they bidding? Why, if the lien was $6,000, why would somebody bid $30,000? I don't understand that part. Why would somebody bid more than the lien? I would understand that process and then... Um, after the auction was over, I would actually approach uh, a few people, people who did not win and people who won. I would go out to lunch with them. I would ask them questions. I attended a few auctions in different towns just to get a feel of it and how it go, right? What's the requirements after you win? So I did some investigation. 
And I spent about six months really um, understanding the whole concept, the risk and how to mitigate the risk. And then again, I went over the hill first, got the arrows in my back. I put my money up and bought some tax liens. And um, I was able to successfully win uh, the first round 18 tax sale certificates. Wow. Good for you. This This was... pretty scary. Like, now what do I do? And then I was like, okay, you have a process, follow your process. I reached out to that attorney. Good news. We spoke a few, a few uh, months ago and basically, um, you know, this, I won these auctions. I got the steps. Here it is. And uh, we went through that whole process and it was a learning experience. It was organic for me because the attorney was giving me more information, spending a lot of time helping me. And one thing I would also suggest is the attorney that I chose was the same attorney that foreclosed on the township that I made the bids in uh, tax certificates. So when it's when it goes to auction, nobody win. It goes back to the township and then the township will foreclose and take control of the property or have the lien. So I use the same attorney who the township was using because they were already in there with the township and it would be easier for them to go through the process with the township. So that's another tip I can tell people. So. You know, through that, is that process. Third, is that the third tip? Yes, the third tip. Can yeah. you get an attorney that's. Well, I guess that's the, that will go with the first one. Find an attorney, but you want to find an attorney that does business with the town already. Right. I like it. Um, the second one would be attend an auction and understand the process of how it go. And the third mm-hmm. tip would be to build your process, um, PowerPoint presentation or process mapping document. So you can have your head wrapped around a process and what, what it all involves. And you can visually see what is the process, the cost that's involved with it. And then that's really the business of tax liens. And then you actually, it's it's um, it's um a learn by doing business. Uh-huh. So you can watch as many webinars as you want and take as many notes, but until you actually do it is when, when you really will learn um, some things, um, things that you may have missed to ask the attorney or things that may have not come up. Um, and then, you know, just, attend as many webinars or things you can about that. Um, very profitable business. I did a deal the other day where I purchased um, two properties and I'm all into it. Construction, everything for about 750,000. I sold it for 1.5. Uh, it took me about 19 months to do it. And that's the biggest tax lien um, deal I've done wow. to date. Yeah. That is an awesome job. So I know we're uh, getting short on our time. So a couple of things, and these are just random. Tell me your favorite band of all time. Hmm. Wow. Favorite band of all time. All I would have time. to say, um, wow, why can't these guys come to my mind? Um, <laughs> they're the band, I think they're from Seattle, that they do everybody's songs, except for their own songs, I think. And um. Oh my God, what is the name of this band? Nirvana. Nirvana. Nirvana? Yeah, Nirvana, yeah. With Kurt Cobain? Yeah. Oh, I love Nirvana. Yep. I loved grunge music when it came out. What's yeah, your favorite? I, I like Go ahead. Now, what's your favorite food? Favorite food? I would have to say um, I like salmon. Ooh. Yeah, I like salmon. You know what? That is actually my favorite. I eat salmon like four times a week. Yeah, I love I salmon. Can, I, eat it. Oh, I can never, ever get enough of it. Yep. And uh, and it's so good for you. All the good omegas is like so good for you. And I've learned a thousand ways. I learned a lot of ways to cook it during COVID because we couldn't go, go out, out anywhere. It's like, <laughs> I'm going to have to learn how to cook. 
But I had to learn. Now, um, as you know, we at the end of the podcast, we do the life equities. And so the uh, so what I, I say is like these five life equities are basically the sum of who we are. So they're financial, spiritual, physical, mental, and family. And I feel like everything in our life falls under one of like family and friends, you know, physical, all of it. So I always love for my guests to honor us and give us our assignments of the week. So what have you decided to give us as our life equity assignment? Sure. So I'll pick family. And what I would say to people is um, the first assignment is to look at your calendar, right? A lot of people now are using their calendars to book things, meetings, and everything else. And then when you look at that calendar, actually look at what you have scheduled for business versus what you have scheduled for family, whether it's your husband, your children, or friends, or whatever that you're close to. Like, are you actually blocking time and booking time to build a deeper relationship with your children, your husband, your wife, friends, and stuff like that? Is that blocked on your calendar? Um, I think that people invest more time into the business and not more time to um, the things that really matters the most. So that would be the homework assignment. So review your calendar and look at what you have blocked most, stuff for business or stuff for the people who you care about. And that's oh, that is a really, that's a very, uh, that's the first time we've had that life equity. It's really great because all my guests come up with, with such creative uh, things. So I really thank you and honor you for giving that to us. So the wonderful people out there, you know that what we ask you to do is to do that life equity until the next time. Uh, so I'll do it for a week. And if it's something that you like and it feels good, make it a part of your life. And if it doesn't fit what you think where you're headed right now, do it for a week anyway, because we all need, we just all need to do, I, you know, like you, I guess part of what that is, is like, it's like balance. We just all need a little bit more balance. So I agree. People get too focused on work and they let everything else go by the wayside. All right, so let me just see if I have this right. So Fuquan, you are 47. You started working at 13 in the corporate world. Uh, your cousin did a first real estate deal and your competitiveness of him making 40,000 got you interested in real estate investing. <laughs> you like Nirvana, you like salmon, you made $30,000 on your first deal. And the tips for the day are learn the laws in your state for the tax liens, go to auctions, try to help people, and build your process. Follow someone, build your process. Don't just wing it and go wild. Have a process, have some steps. And we're going to check our calendars and make sure we have enough time for our family and friends versus everything being all about business. Yeah, you got it. Is that it? Look how much fun this guy is. So uh, hit me up at Dwonderful, Dwonderful.com, Facebook, you know, everything at Dwon, just like Fuquan, he's everywhere. And I want to thank you so much for being on the call today. Anytime. It's so much fun. Yes, I enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks, remember, the truth is in the red letters. So we'll see you next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. Ciao. Bye, everybody. Wow, wow, wow. How much fun did you just have? You listened to the most wonderful real estate podcast ever. 
hey, do me a favor. If you love just one thing about the show, if you laugh, if you learn something, leave a five-star review, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Don't forget, next week, same bat time, same bat channel.